The government has announced that the Law Commission is to carry out a long-awaited review of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954, just ahead of the legislation's 70th anniversary next year. With remarkable good timing, the ever-prepared Property Litigation Association has revealed the results of an extensive survey of its 1,600 members on the operation of the 1954 Act and potential changes that could be made. Joining me today to outline the findings of that survey are Della Gilbert, PLA Chair and Partner at Maples Teasdale, Mark Redding, PLA Vice Chair and Partner at Mishkondorea, and Paul Tonkin, Chair of the PLA's Law Reform Committee and Partner at Hogan Lovells International. Welcome to you all. Hi. Hi. Thanks, Jess. So, obviously, uh, you were all ahead of the game on this one. Uh, so, please, can you talk me through what led the PLA to carry out this survey uh, and what exactly you asked of your members? One of the main objectives of the Property Litigation Association is law reform. And over the years, we've liaised with the Law Commission on various aspects of landlord and tenant um, legislation. And the 54 Act is nearly 70 years old. It'll be 70 years old next year. And we were aware that the government had declared in December 2020 that the 54 Act was one area. In fact, landlord and tenant legislation generally was an area that they wished to review, having um, authorised the Law Commission in their 13th programme of reform to look at residential legislation. So we were very much aware of that. And we were also aware that they had pushed that uh, agenda back because of COVID. Um, and we also heard on, on the grapevine, as many people in the property industry did last year, that the government was bringing the topic back um, to the top of the agenda. And so we thought we would get ourselves ready and help government and law commissioners best we could as and when they started the whole process. And how extensive was the survey in terms of the you know, the number of questions you, you put to your members? Well, it was about 30 questions in all, um, <laughs> which, was, which was quite a few more than we, we thought um, that there would be. But we, it was it was divided up into sections. So um, looking at the concept of security of tenure and then looking at the various processes under the Act and whether each uh, was fit for purpose or whether the Act as a whole was fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. And the headline finding uh, of the survey seems to be that the 54 Act is still broadly uh, fit for purpose but could be streamlined to help business growth. So can you expand on that for me and, and um, sort of give me an idea of how the Act fared with your members? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think you're absolutely right. I think that is one of the key headlines that we've taken away from the, the survey and that that in itself is interesting because our, our membership covers um, advisors who act mainly for landlords, advisors who act mainly for tenants, but sort of notwithstanding that, they, they did, I think, largely speak with one voice on on this point that, that as you say, the Act is still broadly fit for purpose. Um, I, I think the views were that it, it is well understood and I think there was a recognition um, that there is a, a value in stability and certainty, particularly when lots of other things are changing sort of in, in the market more generally. Um, I, I also think that as litigators, our, our members are, are very aware of the fact that there is always a risk that reform for reform's sake you know, can result in actually additional complexity and unintended consequences. Uh, and that is obviously not a route that um, we'd be keen for the government to go down. Um, so, so, yes, yeah, so, so fundamentally, I, I think the view was that, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, but that said, um, that there were certainly some themes which emerged in terms of particular areas um, where, where the view was that, um, you know, rather than a complete overhaul, um, the Act could certainly be tweaked or improved so that overall the process is quicker, more efficient and more cost effective. Thank you, Paul. And obviously, Della mentioned security of tenure. 
And that's uh, a key component of the 1954 Act. And, and your members, it seems, are overwhelmingly of the view that it is important to retain this uh, for commercial tenants. That's absolutely right, Jess. Um, I think the results of the survey uh, found that 90% of um, those surveyed thought that security of tenure um, for commercial tenants should remain. Um, I, I think that's quite an interesting statistic against um, the kind of contrary argument that the purpose for which the Act was brought into place, um, you know, where there was a, a scarcity of um, property available after uh, the war, um, that uh, and obviously those circumstances don't exist in uh, today's marketplace, certainly with the number of voids that one might find um, on, a, on a high street, particularly in relation to retail premises. So for the figure to be so high, um, certainly surprised me actually, but it is massive endorsement of the fact that uh, everyone thinks that a security of tenure is here to stay and should should continue to stay going forwards. And I, and I think just yes, I can jump in there. One interesting mm -hmm. point was um, that there are some jurisdictions and Scotland is an obvious example where, where the concept of security of tenure doesn't exist in the same way. And so we were particularly keen to to um, ask members who have experience of those jurisdictions as well, sort of how, how well they think they thought things worked there and you know, mm. what the differences were. And certainly, I think um, amongst those that you know, had sort of experience of the Scottish jurisdiction, for example, um, you know, they, they did comment in the majority that you know, the lack of security of tenure um, tended to result in shorter leases, lack of investment by tenants. Um, they also felt that it allowed landlords with stronger bargaining positions to potentially exploit tenants who were you know, perhaps badly advised and unprepared for the end of their leases. So for, for those who've seen it on the other side of the fence, for example, um, so to speak, um, they certainly appear to think that you know, security of tenure is fundamentally a, a good thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, possibly understandable, bearing in mind that ringing endorsement for security of tenure, that your members also feel that the 1954 Act does um, largely strike a fair balance between landlords and tenants? I think so. I mean, there are things that need tweaking um, and that's come out in the survey. So, for example, um, whether grounds of opposition should be extended um, beyond what they are um, and, and whether a landlord should be allowed to carry out ESG works. Um, so, yes, on the whole, it, it, mm -hmm. it, is, it is fair, but subject to to particular details being tweaked. The interesting question there is, I suppose, we we look at it through one lens, which is, I guess, the fairness of the process um, that exists. And and I guess the finding is that members thought that there was relative fairness. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I wonder whether the, if the same question was asked to the, the property industry at large, whether the results would be um, comparable or not. <laughs> And I think what you may well find in that is you would have complaints equally from landlords and tenants, which perhaps suggests that it is a fair process overall. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that streamlining uh, for, for to, to enable business growth. So what, what are some of the ways that your members feel that the Act could be streamlined? So certainly one recurring theme which came out was that the process of contracting out of the, the Act. Uh, and I think most people agree that you know, landlords and tenants should continue to have the contractual freedom to decide whether or not the Act should apply to, to their lease. But, but there was certainly a, a very firm recurring view that the existing process of contracting out is unnecessarily cumbersome and creates unnecessary pitfalls. Um, in particular, the idea that tenants have to go along to an independent solicitor and swear a statutory declaration. I think most people thought just feels unnecessarily bureaucratic and just adds a layer of process w without you know, much added benefit. 
And so there was certainly widespread support for simplifying that process, perhaps with an electronic system or just by having a statement on the, the face of the lease itself. And mm-hmm. you know, in terms of getting you know, from terms agreed through to lease completion, that would at least take out one step in the process and allow things to happen a little bit more quickly, a little bit more cheaply. One thing your membership is uh, split almost down the middle on. Uh, is the role that the courts uh, should play in the commercial lease renewal process. So so what are some of the uh, responses like there and, and what do you think uh, are some of the main issues that your members sort of find with the court involvement? Well, as I said earlier, the, the county courts um, are, they are solely responsible at the moment for dealing with lease renewals. And 53% of our members felt that a different procedure, a different forum was necessary for 54 at renewals as opposed to 47% who thought the existing process was fine. Of those who are in favour of the of the existing procedure, they they are of the view that the um, court procedure works well as the courts know what they're doing and, and whereas for example arbitration which would be a potential alternative can be expensive and unreliable um, in that you have to pay for the arbitrator which of course you don't have to pay for a, for a judge. Um, and that there was a, con- a concern that the that if the COVID arbitration scheme were adopted uh, in its current form, then that was a bit rough and ready. Um, although the circumstances were that it, that it that it had to be, and and so, and there's a concern about how an alternative forum or procedure could be resolved. Now on, on the other side of the coin, um, most of us on both sides of uh, the landlord-tenant divide in terms of our members, they've all had to endure the the delays associated with being in the county court I mean it, it really is a very long time what used to take you'd you do advise a client that would take maybe a year to get to court from issue of proceedings you're now looking mm-hmm. at double that if mm-hmm. if you're lucky and the judges are a lottery you don't necessarily have a judge who's experienced in in 54 act and valuation now they'll they'll learn on the job they'll with, with the help of experts and and barristers whereas if you have an alternative forum such as the packed um, professional arbitration of court terms, you would have a specialist um, to, to deal with that. And in favour of arbitration, they can be flexible and can be less costly and certainly quicker. Um, and one forum which has, has been lauded by a, a number of respondents is the first tier tribunal and mm-hmm. the pilot scheme um, for unopposed lease renewals for properties in central London. And it works very well. It's very streamlined. They aim to have uh, a, a trial 20 weeks after they issue directions. And once you're on, they give a, a three month period for the parties to negotiate or, or go to an alternative dispute resolution process. That initial three months, that's all you get. And then you then you are on the conveyor belt and and, and the pressure of getting near uh, getting nearer to a trial date or incurring more costs really does push the parties into reaching a settlement sooner rather than later. So that has been lauded by our our members. And there has been talk of that it being rolled out across the country. Um, the concern, though, is that um, if all county court um, unopposed lease renewals go to the first tier tribunal, are we simply moving the problem from one hmm. forum to another and they might become inundated? But that is certainly a model that has worked well. 
and potentially an, a compuls having a compulsory pre-action protocol in place requiring parties to um, meet and experts to to um, exchange comparables or, or, dis or issues um, in advance of proceedings. Those sorts of things have been have been mentioned as alternatives, but it, it's all up to grabs. You know, these, these are these are just suggestions for the for the law commission. I think one one interesting point about arbitration is that um, if you speak to anyone in the rent review market at the moment, they will tell you there's fundamentally a shortage of arbitrators, um, and that is because a lot of the um, larger surveying firms, um, you know, are, are reluctant to allow their their surveyors to stand as arbitrators because it potentially conflicts them out of of wider business. So I think if we were going to roll out arbitration for 54 Act and going to need a lot more arbitrators, then you know, that the conflicts position would have to be dealt with. Otherwise, we're not going to have enough. Uh, there is a huge conflict situation with 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 um, surveyors firms because it's not just the individual arbitrator whether they have a conflict is it's the whole firm so even if they if the surveyor puts themselves on the panel they could end up having no work at all i think uh, a further point as well is um as Della says the county courts are the the designated forum for these disputes but sometimes there are quite important points of principle um that are of wider application and if you get a judgment in the county court, then it's got no precedent value. So mm. you can point to it and say this is helpful and interesting, but you can't point to it and say you judge must be bound by this previous decision. Uh, and I think there was some want for in particular specific cases um, when they're sufficiently um, technically difficult or specialist for the, for the high court to be able to listen to those disputes instead so that you don't have these kind of repeat rounds of litigation um, where you might have a precedent that can um, set things in stone for, 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 the, for the wider market. So it sounds like there'll be plenty for the Law Commission to ultimately grapple with on, on that point. And uh, another uh, matter that seemed to, to split your members, uh, Dalla, you mentioned uh, uh, ESG works a while ago uh, and the, the, you know, the potential expansion of the the intention to develop ground for opposing a lease renewal um, in order to allow landlords to carry out ESG works. And I imagine uh, that, that is particularly important uh, right now as the, the minimum energy efficiency standard uh, starts to bite on commercial, commercial property and those, those EPC requirements are only going to get more um, stringent in the years ahead. Um, so what were, your, what were your members' thoughts on that knotty issue? Yeah, as you say, Jess, this was one where the membership was actually fairly evenly balanced. And I wonder whether mm. that is one of these areas which does reflect sort of the landlord tenant divide and that those <laughs> acting for landlords thought that it was a jolly good idea that landlords should have more flexibility in terms of opposing renewal, whereas tenants advisors weren't quite so keen on on that idea. But but yes, I think you are absolutely right that it, it's not an issue that's going to go away. You know, it, we, we're now sort of in the territory where it's unlawful to to continue to let um, substandard properties subject to certain exemptions that the standards are going to get higher and the exemptions I suspect will become more more restrictive um, as we move towards 2027 and, and beyond so I think landlords will say um, you know if, they, if they're going to achieve the the government's targets in terms of carbon net zero and so on they, they need the flexibility to be able to improve their properties even where um, tenants might prefer that they, they didn't for whatever reason and I think the challenge we have at the moment is that uh, ground F, you know, the redevelopment ground for opposition under the Act, um, is fairly tightly drafted, tightly controlled, and if anything, you know, really to, to sort of get home on ground F, the, the works generally have to be quite substantial. And I think if if you now 
think that we're now in a world where people are generally sort of questioning, well, actually, do we need to go for full demolition? Is there something lesser we can do, which which is more um, carbon efficient, um, more ESG compliant? It, it perhaps seems slightly odd that um, you know, in order to get home under the 54 Act and oppose renewal, um, you, you still have to go for the full blown demolition route. I guess that um, is, is one of the strengths of the PLA as as a body that can sort of influence law reform in that, you know, you do represent the interests of, of landlords and, and tenants fairly equally. Yes, I, I think um, I think that's right. Our, our members, as I say, our, our members advise landlords and tenants, sort of anyone with an interest in in property. And I think it's also important that, you know, we're not a, a landlord lobbying op- op- organization or a tenant lobbying organization you know, our remit is to effectively ensure that you know landlord and tenant law is as is as good as it can be and that that's very much what we're focused on doing in terms of our, our contribution to this, this process mm-hmm. so uh were there any other particular findings from the survey that you think are worth noting for our listeners so i think one of the the key themes that that, that came through uh, was in relation to turnover rents, and and this goes back to the point uh, that I was just making in relation to to precedent value of decisions, because at the moment um, there's no high court authority or above in relation to whether or not the court's got jurisdiction to order a turnover rent um, on a on a lease renewal, and obviously as a result of COVID. Um, Prior to COVID, turnover rents existed, but they they really have come to to, to the fore. And the the COVID turnover rent concession letter is um, obviously something that's very very commonplace um, now. And I think what was key was that clients are, want to understand whether or not this this kind of device, which is so commonplace in the market, is something that can be brought within the landscape of the 54 Act um, so that they can have greater certainty as to whether or not they can achieve uh, that, uh, the inclusion of such a term on a renewal or not. Um, I think another theme that did come through is whether um, compensation, um, if uh, a landlord succeeds in in opposing renewal uh, on the basis of a ground where the tenant is not at fault. So usually that's redevelopment or owner occupation. Um, Whether the compensation that the tenant gets when it's booted out um, properly reflects the damage to its business or not. Um, It's based on rateable value presently, uh, either one times or two times the rateable value of the premises. But questions were asked as to whether or not that continues to be the appropriate barometer of uh, the tenant's loss uh, and beyond that whether um, that loss and compensation is appropriate in all industries or whether it actually should be only appropriate in those industries where uh, the tenant's location and siting at that particular property does attract goodwill to it Um, that there are obvious instances you know logistics facility on the on a on a motorway is is not going to attract very much if any um, goodwill to it in contrast to something like a, like a restaurant so there's there's a question to be asked there but the difficulty really is going to be in formulating uh, a metric other than rateable value that that can be used in a, in a widespread way and I think that's the difficulty that was had last time round and uh, it's a question as to whether or not they're going to grapple with it again um, or, or, or just go with uh, the default rateable value position um, in terms of any change. 
I think that's right, Mark. There's certainly, I think, a view that rateable value is far from perfect as a metric, but it is simple. Everyone understands it. And as soon as you move to something more subjective, then, you know, you inevitably just open up scope for more disputes, don't you? Now, obviously, we are at a very early stage in the Law Commission's process uh, with a consultation paper not expected until December this year. So what are the next steps um, for the PLA when it comes to your uh, survey findings and, and your participation uh, in uh, the Law Commission's consultation? We have a couple of academic members um, of the of the PLA, um, Professor Michael Haley of Keel University and Emily Carroll of the University of Birmingham, who have been involved um, in the process and we have forwarded them the results and they uh, are going to analyse them and also talk further to some of the respondents who have indicated they're prepared to um, mm-hmm. to have chats with uh, with our academic members. They'll do a bit more research um, on our findings and then we're intending to have a forum of members um, to discuss the issues that have been raised by the survey, which will be chaired by our PLA president, Upper Tribunal Judge uh, Lizzie Cook. And then on, 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 as a result of all that, we'll pre- present our final findings um, to the Law Commission. And with the the time frame I mentioned in mind, um, so I'm conscious that any eventual recommendations from the Law Commission are likely to be deep into 2024 at the very earliest. Uh, And of course, uh, there are no guarantees that they will ultimately be implemented. Um, With the next general election scheduled uh, for for January 2025, if not before, uh, potentially complicating the position further, how optimistic are you all that this process will ultimately lead um, to the kind of meaningful change that your your members are hoping for? I think that's quite a political question, but um, presumably because there may be a change of government in um, 2025. But I think the issues um, with the 54 Act and and the survey that we've done and the review that the Law Commission is going to do, they are pretty apolitic in that um, business what is good for the UK PLC is is being able for businesses to um, carry on as best as they can and for leases leases to be renewed as quickly as possible and in as simpler simple as possible a way so I would hope that any government of whichever leaning would wish to carry forward whatever recommendations the Law Commission comes up with. And would you echo those thoughts Mark Paul? Yeah, I, I certainly agree that, you know, unlike the, the recent residential reforms, for example, which have been seen as quite politically motivated, um, rightly or wrongly, I, I think, you know, 54 Act reform, I, I think, you know, as our survey shows, you know, wherever you sit on the, the fence, you know, there are improvements w- which can be made and those improvements shouldn't be seen to be co- controversial. You know, the, the Act hasn't been improved for 20 years now. It, I think it is overdue improvement. And there are, I think, some some easy fixes, which hopefully the Law Commission will be able to recommend, um, which you know, whatever the, whoever the government is, should be able to implement um, without too much difficulty for the, the benefit of, of the industry as a whole. Uh, so I, I agree with Paul as well. Uh, and it seems to me that um, with the current approach that the government is adopting in relation to the auctioning of high street space, that they are seriously looking at what can be done to to, to fill that space in, and if uh, streamlining the 54 app process can assist in filling those voids and and bringing the high streets back to life, then I think that's something that they're going to be properly applying their minds to. Well, thank you uh, very much, all three of you, for joining me to outline the PLA survey findings. I'm sure uh, this is a topic uh, to which we will return um, over the coming. 
uh, months and, and possibly into next year as well uh, as the Law Commission's consultation takes shape. Um, so uh, do keep us posted uh, on uh, the work you're doing um, and uh, we'll speak again, no doubt. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, you have been listening uh, to the Property Podcast from EG.